So let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 23. Genesis 23. Nice that it was uh, so much warmer today. It was great. I don't know about nine degrees in March. What's up with that, huh? But it's a blessing to have all the snow. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the life of Abraham and how he uh, finishes well in his marriage and with his son Isaac and his legacy of being your friend and him having fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you for how we see Jesus in the Old Testament and how Christ, you are the bridegroom and we're the bride. We ask that you would come speak to us. We claim your promise that if we draw near to you, that you'll draw near to us. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the privileges of pastoring is you have a front row seat uh, to both burying and marrying. And both are very sacred times. When there's a memorial, there's a funeral, and you're there with the family in those, those times. And then also uh, when someone's getting married. It's always fun as a pastor uh, to walk in with the groom and you can feel his nervousness and excitement as he watches his bride come down the aisle. These two chapters are burying and marrying. Abraham buries his wife, Sarah, who is 120 years old. And then we see the marriage of his son, Isaac. Then Abraham goes off of the scene in the book of Genesis. The second half of the book of Genesis focuses on four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and it has everything to do with God's promise to birth the children of the nation of Israel. So Abraham, these two chapters are are really important because in chapter 23, we see Abraham gets a little piece of land in the promised land, a cave to be able to bury Sarah. That's the only time he takes possession of any of this promised land. And then Isaac getting married is the fulfillment of God's promise uh, for this nation to be birthed where there would be many uh, descendants. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. This is the only time we see a woman's age at death recorded in Scripture. 127 years. You ladies seem to guard your age pretty good, don't you? It's a a well-guarded secret. And here, uh, Sarah's age, she dies at 127 years. She'd been through a lot. One day her husband came home and said, we're moving. Well, where are we moving to? A land that God's going to show us. Let's just load up the U-Haul. We'll keep driving. When we get there, we'll know that this is the place that we're supposed to be. On two occasions, Abraham claimed his wife as his sister for his own protection. She went through years of barrenness and having this promise that she was going to have a child, but barren, barren, barren. Finally, the Lord gives to her a promised child in her old age. While they were waiting for a child, she has the great idea of Hagar. Why don't you go ahead and marry my maidservant and have a child with her? And Ishmael uh, is born. 
And what we find in 1 Peter 3 is that God records her as a godly woman. She's, she's recorded as a godly woman. She's lifted up as her character uh, for the Lord. And she pa- passes away. She dies. In verse 2, So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Cana. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We see this heartfelt expression of Abraham's grief. He weeps and he mourns for his wife. All of these years that they had together in marriage, this companionship that they had uh, together in marriage. We don't know how young they were when they got married, but we assume because of the culture they were pretty young. So they logged all of this time of marriage together. Very easily they could have been married a hundred years could you imagine that? Some of you like praise the Lord and some of you like no thank you, right? <laughs> I don't know if I could handle being married to this guy for a for hundred years. Abraham's heart uh, comes out for her. We don't see this kind of emotion out of Abraham in other places in scripture. It shows how close he was to his wife. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth saying, So Abraham's going to try to acquire a cave in order to be able to bury Sarah. He says, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Say, Abraham, you don't have to worry about it. You're a prince. Abraham has really multiplied in his possessions. He's a rich man. He's well known in the community. And they say, look, you just go ahead and bury Sarah in one of our burial uh, places. And they offer that to him. Abraham goes on and he spoke with them saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with me in Ephron, the son of Ephrath, for me. He arranges a meeting. That he may give me the cave of Mamre, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at full price at the property for burial place among you. Abraham's got his sight upon a cave. He says, I don't want one of your burial places. I want a cave to be able to bury uh, Sarah. Abraham doing this shows faith in believing that God is going to give this land to his uh, descendants. He doesn't seek to go back to Ur of the Chaldees to bury Sarah. And what we find throughout the Old Testament is that they would actually bury their ancestors upon their father's bones. So say, I passed away, my bones would actually go on my father's bones, and then my kids, when they pass away, their bones would go upon my bones. And that's the way burial happens, and you read it in the Old Testament, upon their fathers. They're literally putting their bones upon their fathers in these caves. This was the way burial took place. Now that might sound pretty creepy, maybe I'm morbid, but I think that's pretty cool. Because in that is a lot of heritage, right? In there is a lot of history of going, this is my family and this is, this is my roots. And in this, I'm connected to my father. And in this, I'm connected to, to my grandfather. And Abraham's starting all of this. 
He's saying, this is going to be our place. And so I want to purchase this cave in order for Sarah uh, to be buried. So verse 10, now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, now my Lord, hear me. I will give you the field and the cave that's in it. I will give it to you in the presence of my sons of my field. I will give it to you, bury your dead. Now, do you think he really means that he's going to give it to you? This was a way of bartering. This is beginning the conversation of trying to find a, a mutual, agreeable price. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. So Abraham politely is saying, I don't want it for free. I'm going to pay for it. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is it between you and me? So bury your dead. Have you ever purchased something on Craigslist? Trying to figure out what the price is going to be, right? It can be an interesting process uh, to, to go through. And this is their way of trying to come to an agreeable price. Instead of just coming out and saying, well, I want $400 for the cave for the property. He's like, well, it's worth 400 shekels uh, of silver. Verse 16, and Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So apparently the merchants, when they would buy and sell, they would use silver. So the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which is before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded. So he actually gets the legal paperwork to say that this field in this cave, it belongs to Abraham. This is the beginning of God's promise that Abraham and descendants are going to have this promised land. To Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heath before all who went in the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as the property for a burial place. So this is the only land that Abraham possesses inside of the promised land. So let's pause just for a moment here and see if there's application for us in this burying, in this relationship with Abraham and Sarah. What comes to my mind when I think of their marriage is faithfulness. And first we see the faithfulness of God. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah for them to be married all of these years uh, together. And any marriage in Christ that lasts, that goes the distance, it points to the faithfulness of God, doesn't it? We see the obedience of Abraham, we see the obedience of Sarah, but even more than that, we see God being faithful to them even in spite of themselves at times. Abraham really adding to the tension in this marriage with 
lying that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife, but God was faithful. God saved Sarah in in the midst of that. Husbands, aren't you thankful that God is faithful to our wives even when we're in a sinful place? Can Can I get an amen, right? We don't want to abuse that, but we're thankful for God's faithful in that. Sarah really muddies the water in the relationship by suggesting this whole thing with Hagar. Now, Abraham's at fault. He went along with this idea, but Sarah's the one who initiated this this idea, and it made family life very difficult. God was faithful in that whole equation. God was faithful to Hagar, faithful to Ishmael, faithful to give direction on how things were going to be able to uh, move forward. What if Sarah would have given up after the second time that Abraham lied about the nature of their relationship. Second time her life was in jeopardy. She would have failed to see the faithfulness of God, wouldn't she? You know, what if Abraham would have left the marriage and said, you know, this whole thing with Hagar was a huge mistake and it was your idea and held it against her. But they continued. So we see the faithfulness of God, but we also see the faithfulness that they have to one another, that they decided to stay committed to one another. And ultimately, their faithfulness to one another was their faithfulness to God. Sarah stayed with Abraham because of her faithfulness to God. Abraham stayed with Sarah because of his faithfulness to God. For those of you that are married, keep walking the distance. Get to your own burial place, as hard as that is, and have the joy of burying your spouse and saying, this is so hard and it's so difficult, but man, look at the journey that we've been able to have together. Look at the way that we've seen the faithfulness of God and choose through God's strength and power to be able to be faithful to one another. We often think that the grass is greener somewhere else, but the grass is greener where you water it, where you invest. And we see a great example of faithfulness in Abraham and Sarah. The next thing that's on Abraham's heart and mind is his son getting married. In order for God's promise to progress, Isaac has to get married. In order for Isaac to eventually have descendants as the sands of the sea. Verse 1, now Abraham was old. I just like the honesty of scripture. (laughs) Scripture just calls it like it is. It says, he's old. Goes on, well advanced in age. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. God's blessing, his favor, his grace upon Abraham. Even of Abraham's shortcomings, God's blessings was greater than his shortcomings. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. That's a weird day at work. Hey, why don't you just go ahead and uh, put your hand underneath uh, my, my thigh. Now, this is customary to have a, a strong agreement. You know, if you wanted a, a strong agreement, somebody really meant the commitment that they were making, then they had to put their hand underneath your thigh. I'll just take a handshake, right? <laughs> More thankful for, for, for our culture. Let's just uh, agree on this. The servant would know that there was instruction that was coming from Abraham, his boss. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites 
among whom I dwell. So they're dwelling among the Canaanites, but he doesn't want his son Isaac to marry someone from the Canaanites because they don't know the one true living God. They don't serve the one true living God. Later on in the Old Testament, what plagues the children of Israel? Idolatry. And many times the idolatry would come through marrying unbelievers that served these uh, false gods. So for those of us that are parents, for those of you that are grandparents, this is something that we pray for for our kids is that they would know the one true living God, that they would serve God, and that they would also marry someone who knows the Lord. And this is really important to Abraham. He's saying, I don't want you to choose a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. He's saying, you need to go back to the Mesopotamia region, back to my family to find a wife for Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? This is a good question. What if a woman won't come here to Canaan, amongst the Canaanites, should I take Isaac back to the Mesopotamia region? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. Why? Because God had called them out of Ur of the Chaldees. God had called them to the promised land. Abraham has his sights upon the promised land, what God had promised to them in the burial and in the marrying of of his son. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham is commended for his faith and we see his faith here represented in this marriage that he believed God's hand was gonna be involved in choosing Isaac's bride. The angel of the Lord's going to go before you and give you success and favor in the midst of this. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from this oath and do not take my son back there. So you do your part. You go. You see if God moves. If no woman is going to come back, then you're released from this oath. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. So if you really want a strong agreement, just go for the under the thigh thing. Just see how it works for you, okay? Something to pray through and something to consider in this. In our culture, we really don't have a lot to do with our kids' marriages. You know, many of us our parents weren't much part of that process as well. So in a lot of ways, we just kind of stay out of it completely. And obviously, it's our kids' choice. But God may want to use you in that process more than you think. And for sure, he wants to use you in that process of prayer and instilling in the hearts of your kids the importance of loving the Lord and following the Lord and marrying a, a, a believer. But God uses Abraham in this process, and God may use you in that process as well. For those of you that, that have kids that are moving towards that direction.
In verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all of his master's goods were in his hand and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Goes back to the Mesopotamian region with 10 camels and the camels are gonna come into play here in a few verses. And he made his way, his camels kneeled down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women came out to draw water. So apparently the women were the ones who would come and, and draw water coming out of the city to the well to have, have water. This is very customary also in Africa. You see the community coming out to the well to be able to draw water. So much work. And we have it so good to turn on the faucet and to be able to, to get water. So here's the servant with his camels as the women are coming out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. One of the things that we're going to see here is Abraham has a relationship with God, but so does his servant. This is his oldest servant, his most trusted servant. And throughout this whole process, the servant is depending upon God. That's a, this is a lot of pressure. Can you imagine? All right, I need you to go pick a bride for my son. It shows the amount of trust that he has for the servant, and the servant's trusting in the Lord. He's saying, God, would you lead this process, and would you show kindness in this? The scripture talks about praying without ceasing. A lot of times we go, what does that look like? We see that in this servant. As he's going through his day, and going through this process, he's praying, and we don't see him necessarily getting on his knees. We don't see him withdrawing from everybody. We see him right there in this busy place with his camels. Women are coming out to get water. And he's saying, okay, Lord, it's coming down. I need some help. I need your guidance. And that's the kind of communion that God wants us to have with him. Verse 13, behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have anointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I know that you have shown kindness to my master. Interesting. He says, God, may it be the one who offers to give me a drink, but also offers to water my 10 camels. That's a lot of water. Camels can drink a lot. They've been walking through the desert. They're really thirsty. And she's willing to offer water to the servant, but also to the camels. Why does he choose this? Why does he choose this to be a sign of who should be Isaac's wife? Because he's looking for a woman that has a heart to serve. And that's part of her character. If she's going to come out and offer a stranger some water and to be willing to do all of this work to water his camels, probably the attribute of service is a part of who she is. Now, if you're considering getting married and you're praying about, you know, who should I be looking for? How do I know if they love the Lord? Look for someone who is a servant. Look for who, someone who's willing to meet needs. And it's a part of their character before they've met you. Because a lot of times when 
a single guy or a single gal meets a, a godly person, all of a sudden they're like, I love to serve. I love second graders. You mean you teach second graders at Rocky Mountain Calvary? I have always wanted to teach second graders at Rocky Mountain Calvary. How do I volunteer? How do I, how do I sign up, right? I want to I serve. And it may be out of this motivation to try to win your heart. And so look at their character and say, are they a person who puts other people's needs before their own long before I met them? Because from practical purposes, this what makes a beautiful marriage is a servant. Of someone who's willing to put the needs of their spouse before their own. And this servant knows this. And so that's what he's looking for. In verse 15, and it happened, before he'd finished speaking, underline that. Before he even got done praying this to the Lord, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. So Rebekah is related to Abraham through the line of his brother, Abraham's brother. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her, and she went down to the well and filled her picture and came up. And so she is beautiful outwardly, beautifully inwardly. She's walking in sexual integrity. In verse 17, And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when he'd finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the camels to draw water, and drew for all of his camels. Now, if I happened to offer to water the camels, I would just give the camels a little bit to drink and move on to the next one. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's enough for you. But here she is, here's Rebecca saying, I'm going to let each camel drink until they've had their fill. Draw water, and this is 10 times. And go over this with, with 10 camels. The prayer is answered of the servant. In verse 21, and as, and the man, one wondering at her, remained silent, so as to know whether the Lord has made his journey prosperous or not. So he's meditating upon all of this. In verse 22, so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring wearing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So this is the servant's step of moving down this process to see if Rebecca will marry Isaac. He decides, I believe that she's the one. It's time to get out the bling bling. It's time to get out the gold nose ring. It's time to get out the golden bracelets and see if there's room to lodge at her father's house this evening. In verse 24, so she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor, Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Hey, you can come and your camels can come too. We've got food for your camels as well. Then the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. So we just see this 
continual relationship with God, this continual communion with God, where he's asking for God's help. Now he's responding in thanksgiving. He's responding in in worship. What a great example of faithfulness Abraham's servant is. The limelight's upon Abraham, but God's using Abraham's servant. And you may think that your life is menial. You may feel like, I don't have a big opportunity to, to serve the Lord. You be faithful where you're at. And serve the Abraham, the boss that God has, has put in your life. And be in that constant fellowship with God of dependence and worship. In verse 27, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God, my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. She knows something's up. It's not every day that someone lays on you gold bracelets and a gold nose ring. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. Laban's going to come into the story later as well uh, with Jacob. He's Rebecca's brother, and he starts to know, hey, something's up. Something's going on with this visitor that we have. And brothers have a way of knowing that, right? They have a, a way of detecting someone's got some interest in, in my sister. In verse, 30, in verse 30, so it came to pass when he's, Verse 31, and he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house and he up unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set for him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you about my errand. And he said, speak on. Abraham's servants, like, before we get into the food, before we have the hummus and the falafels, we need to get to business. The real reason that I'm here, and he shares his heart. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. And he's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all things that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites who dwell in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman would not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk, will send his angel with you and will prosper your way. And you shall take a wife from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. So he's explaining everything that's taken place to Laban and to the family. And this day I came to the well, by the way, that's why we named the, the coffee shop The Well. Out here in the foyer, 
If you're looking for a spouse, just hang out at the well. (laughs) Hey, crazier things have happened, believe you me. Oh well, we'll continue with our Bible study. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, if you will not prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a drink of water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your cameras also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. He explains the sign, the test that he'd put out. But before I'd finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she said, haste and let her pitcher down from my shoulder and say, drink, and I will give you camel, give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelet on her wrist. Why does Scripture repeat itself? Did you notice that? As I was reading, it's like we just read this. God never wastes words, and there's always a lesson for us. This becomes the spiritual heritage for Isaac and Rebekah of how God brought them together. And it would be passed down through generations and passed down and passed down, and here we are, thousands of years later, reading it. So remember God's story in your life. For those of you that are married, Remember how God brought you together, even if it was difficult. Remember how the Lord's been faithful through the years. Recount it, share it, share it again. And it's a powerful picture of God's faithfulness in your life. What does God choose to display Christ in the church? He chooses marriage. That husbands represent the way that Christ loves the church. That wives represent the way the church respects Christ. A beautiful way that the gospel is seen is through your relationship, and it's told through your story. So God doesn't mind that this is retold for a second time. In verse 48, And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who led me in the way of truth, to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He's saying, just be straight with me if Rebecca is going to be able to marry Isaac. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. So he's saying, we do think that God's hand is in this, but we're not going to really get on board and we're not necessarily going to oppose it either. In verse 52, and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. I love this guy. He's a worshiper. I just picture him like super excited. He's like, yes. Thank you, Lord. Takes a moment to bow his head and to worship the Lord. It's like they didn't say no right? They recognize that your hand is in this. 
Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. He's a wise man. He, he knows the practical side of this as well. He's like, she's going to be well taken care of. In verse 54, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they rose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. He's like, all right, it's time to make the journey back. You've agreed for Rebecca to marry Isaac. Let's go. Let's don't wait. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. Seems reasonable. You know, yesterday she was just going out to get water. Now she's moving far away and she's going to marry Isaac. Let's, let's give this 10 days. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And he said, and she said, I will go. So in the Old Testament, we have pictures of New Testament principles. And the New Testament principle is that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And as the bride of Christ, we see Rebecca being willing to marry Isaac. And this should be our hearts towards Christ as the church, is that we're willing. That we're willing to respond to his invitation when he calls. And there's an urgency in the servant because it shows the heart of the bridegroom for this marriage to, to take place. And Jesus' heart is to be with the church, and we respond to that ushering. The servant really points to the role of the Holy Spirit. The Father has sent the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to bring us to Christ. It's the work of the Spirit that brings us to the place of seeing our need for Christ and our willingness to say, yeah, I want Christ. I want to be in this relationship uh, with Christ. And so as Jesus calls him to us to himself, we want to respond the way Rebecca did and said, I'm willing to go. I want to draw near to Christ. So they went, so they sent Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. May you have victory over your enemies. And God really did bless Rebecca in this way. Then Rebecca and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lehairoi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. So we see this amazing picture taking place where you find Rebecca, who has the character of being a servant, of putting other people's needs before her own, and Isaac, who is in his character that has a heart of worship, has a relationship with the Lord. Here it is the evening, and Isaac decides that he's going to go out into the field and he's going to pray. He's going to meditate upon the Lord. And it seems to be that this is his custom. This is the way that Isaac 
would spend his evenings. And both of them had this in their character before they met each other. So here he is, worshiping the Lord, meditating upon the Lord, and he lifts and he sees the ten camels that were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? Then the servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Now part of the faith of Rebecca is she doesn't know what Isaac looks like. She took the gamble, right? She's like, man, I hope he's attractive, right? <laughs> and so she's willing to marry this guy before she's even seen him, before she's even met him. And she looks in the field and she's like, who's this guy coming to meet us? Well, that's Isaac. That, that's my master. And she puts a veil upon her face and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. He retells the story of God's faithfulness. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah takes place. And Isaac is mourning his mother's death. And part of the way that Rebecca is used in his life is to, to comfort him over the passing of his mother. And one of the beautiful things that I think about marriage is that God oftentimes uses your spouse to bring comfort into your life, to bring change into your life. You know, when I first met Amber 19 years ago, we'll have our 18th anniversary uh, th this September. God really used her in my life to bring some things that were inside of me that were dead and bring them back to life. And it's an amazing work that God does is where he tangibly allows you to experience his love through your spouse. And many times through the years, God continues to use Amber, my life, to, to be a comfort and to, to be a strength. And the Lord is the, the primary source of that. But he uses our spouse to be able to bring that comfort into our lives in, in a tangible uh, way. There's a lot of naysayers when it comes to marriage. And there's a lot of people in our culture, in our society, and inside of church as well, that, that really don't have a lot of good things to say about marriage. Now, singleness is a great gift. And the Apostle Paul says that if God has called you to, to singleness, that that is a great thing from the Lord. And so if the Lord has called you to singleness, be confident and sure in that calling. Or if that's where he has you, if, if you're a man, I don't know that I'm called to singleness, but he hasn't opened the door for marriage, then be content in that, in that singleness. But if God has called you into marriage, make sure you see marriage inside of the lens in which God sees it. That it's a blessing from the Lord. That God brought comfort to Isaac through Rebecca. And that's what he desires to do in your life uh, through your spouse. If, if you're going to be married in the future and you enter into marriage, enter it into it with a godly attitude. Enter into it as this is God's provision for me and I'm so thankful to be, to be married. Don't enter it into this, well, there's three rings of marriage. There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's suffering. 
okay, I said yes to the Lord. I I got married. I'm going to bear my cross, right? So if you're married, go home and give your spouse a big hug and say, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so appreciative for you that God has brought you into to my life. And as we continue to journey, we're going to see next week the, the death of Abraham and then the focus is going to be upon Isaac. And in this closing chapters of his life, in burying and marrying, we see faith. We see faith to buy a burial place in the promised land. We see faith to, to fight for that Isaac would have a godly wife. And in James 2, it says this about Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. So let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these beautiful pictures in the Old Testament. And we see this relationship with Abraham and Sarah, their marriage, how it points to your faithfulness and the love that Abraham had for, for Sarah. We see this relationship with Isaac and Rebecca and how they, they loved you and served you and you brought together this, this godly marriage. Lord, we pray that for our church, for those that are single, for those that you would desire to be married in the future. Lord, that you would just be preparing Isaacs and preparing Rebecca's. And Lord, we pray for the kids and the, the youth ministry and the college ministry and the children's ministry that they would be set apart for you. And Lord, in time, if they're to be married, that you would bless them with godly spouses. We, we pray for great grace and wisdom as, as parents that we could be used by you in that, in that process. And tonight, as we celebrate communion, we thank you, Jesus, that you're our bridegroom, that you say, come, that you invite us to come, and we want to respond to you and draw near to you. So would you meet us afresh in communion? In Jesus' name, amen.